Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'll read from verse 1 through, or actually verse 3 through verse 7. This is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. We're focused this morning on verses 6 and 7, and they begin with these words, for this reason. So we have to begin by thinking about those words that that it's pointing back to. It seems clear to me that what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he says, for this reason, is the sincere faith of Timothy. He's pointing back to the sincere faith of Timothy. That faith first dwelt in Lois's grandmother, Eunice's mother, and then through their investment, is now in Timothy, Pastor Timothy. Timothy loves God. Timothy loves God. He believes in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he's called then to minister to the churches along with and after the Apostle Paul. Because of the presence of that sincere faith of Timothy... The Apostle Paul reminds Timothy to do something. He says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The word translated kindle afresh in the New American Standard, it's translated as fan into flame in the ESV and stir up in the King James. The Greek Verb, it's a, like Greek verbs often are, it's a couple of words slammed together. And um, it's, the first, the first word is ana, which is upward or up, and then zoan, which means to alive, and then puro, which means to set on fire. Right, so a, a, a good uh, wooden or literal rendering would be to enliven by setting on fire. Enliven to bring to bring up by setting on fire. So the apostle Paul is reminding Timothy that this gift is that this gift which he received supernaturally, whatever it was, had to be enlivened. It had to be worked on. It had to be stirred up. It had to be fanned into flame by his own effort. Uh, that's interesting to think about. Um, We think that a supernatural gift doesn't need any work, right? It doesn't need any effort, that it comes to him supernaturally, and that's all there is. He can can turn it on and turn it off like a a light switch. 
And that's all he needs, but it doesn't seem to be the case. In Timothy's case, what he received at his ordination continued, needed continued reminder and needed continued stirring up in order to be used for God's glory. So, I mean, along the same lines, you think of uh, someone maybe naturally gifted at something. Someone may be naturally gifted with a good voice and a musical mind. But if they don't use it, if they don't practice it, if they don't stir it up, guess what? The voice will lose its good quality, um, its ease, and, and eventually its utility. Uh, same with sports. Think of the, the golf swing, right? Um, someone may be naturally gifted, physic, just very um, physically gifted, and yet if they don't practice that swing, it'll be lost. So those that are born with something that others might not have, physical structure of the vocal cords, a mind that understands music, ears that understand what others don't or hear what others don't, the right temperament, that gift takes work. It has to be worked on. Are spiritual gifts the same? Are spiritual gifts the same way? Are they like natural gifts? Let's say someone has the gift of generosity. Um, they're naturally, they're willing to give um, what they have away to others. They have resources. But there could come along at some point a nagging feeling that they should store up their treasures, right? That that would be prudent, that, um, you know, they begin listening perhaps to prepper radio. And um, they buy gold, right? And they they they... They buy food that has a shelf, you know, those buckets of food that have a shelf life of 50 years. Um, might that person need reminder and stirring up in order to use that gift, uh, that disposition that was given to him? Yes, of course. Though you excel, remember the commands to excel still more. Though you have, say, the gift of discernment, that discernment needs honing. That discernment needs honing by the Word of God, um, which takes study, right? So you may have nat- you have been may have been given the gift of discernment, but it still needs to be stirred up, enlivened by the work of the Spirit and by the Word of God. Uh, though you have evangelistic zeal, that evangelistic gift needs to be stirred up as you encounter different kinds of thoughts and different kinds of worldviews and something you never anticipated having to confront when you are practicing evangelism. And so that takes study, it takes work, it takes effort. Again, think of what it means to fan something into flame. You breathe on those dying embers, right, and place on those dying embers new wood. You continue to blow and blow, and suddenly there's a blazing uh, fire, the heat and the fire had to be there initially, or your blowing would have been in vain. Blow on a piece of cold wood, and um, you're not likely to see fire. The heat, that gift, was already there, but you had to put your own effort into it in order to see that blaze up into fire. So many people have gifts, but they've forsaken the means of causing them to blaze into a raging fire of spiritual blessing. And what are those means? Those means are the church, right? The study of God's word, 
praying that God would, would uh, use those gifts. It's fellowship. It's also repentance. We stir up our gifts by repenting for the, the negligence that we've had in, in not using them. It's also counsel, right? Receiving counsel from, from godly ones in, in how to use that gift. Have you known people who are undoubtedly gifted by God with, they may have eloquence, they may have zeal, they may have wisdom, they may have kindness, and it's clearly something that God has worked into them, but whose gift has faded because it was not stirred up, because mostly, most likely because they determined that because they had that gift, they needed no outside help in order to exercise that gift. Right, in order to zealously exercise that gift. And so they may have had that gift, but they were completely misdirected in the use of it. Right? They may have been given this gift, but they've just without direction, they, they've they've used it in poor ways. I think of my niece and nephew that undoubtedly have the gift of compassion. They have uh, compassion like I don't have. They really love people. They really show an interest in people. Well, because they were not properly counseled, they ended up helping a single woman by becoming a surrogate for her. Right? My niece grew her baby in her womb and then handed her over to an unwed pagan mother. Right? That's an amazing act. I mean, that's quite quite an act and would only be done by someone who truly had somebody else's needs or wants in mind, but there is so much that is unethical and not informed by God's word in doing that, right? So, so, you know, we can have a gift and leave it untethered to God's word, and it, it does not lead to blessing, right? Every heretic, every heretic who ever lived had some sort of gift, But when left untethered to God's word, to Christ's church, or to those, you know, who would have helped to hone those gifts, it becomes a curse and not a blessing to others. Um, In a sense, this is why we bring candidates up um, for ordination. And in doing so, we look both for gifting and for training, both for gifting and for education, Right, A man must be given gifts for office, but he must also have them fanned into flame by being beaten in pastoral training, right? by being disciplined through that work. And he, he, that's how that, that gift is fanned into a flame that burns with the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you, if you have what you think is a gift from God, do this. One, make sure you have that particular gift. Because most of us are mistaken about what gifts we have, I think. I mean, I've been mistaken about what gifts I thought I had along the way. So you have to make sure you have that gift. Second, once confirmed in that gift, work at making the most of that gift. Hone it, increase it, you know, break it down to the ground and build it back up. Um, build the muscles that that gift's re- gift requires you to use. Um, all, in a sense, all gifts are to be had in some measure by all Christians. So that means there's plenty of work to do in, 
in honing these gifts for each of us. In Timothy's case, he's received something specific at a specific time. He received something at his ordination when Paul and others laid their hands upon him. And, and Paul is calling him to work at that something, stir it up, fan it into flames, make it more than it already is. Now, what was the gift that Timothy received? What was that gift? Well, what gifts does Scripture mention very quickly? Uh, we could go to 1 Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. We could go to Romans 12. Romans 12 has, has gifts mentioned. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. We could go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, mentions words of wisdom through the Spirit, words of knowledge according to the same Spirit, faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, later on, says, first we have apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And those are the gifts that Scripture lays out to us. Now, some of these gifts, I believe, were special gifts given to the church for a specific time at the initial outpouring of the Spirit at that time. So today, they do not appear as not being necessary. Right? There are, no, um, there are not any, uh, today any longer any apostles. It's not necessary. The apostles had initial work to do in the church they are sent out. They completed their work. Apostle no longer, there are no longer official prophets. There are no longer those individuals who have gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of tongues. Though I believe that healing, miracles, and even tongues as a kind of miracle could happen today. But as far as, as gifts given for the building up of the body, these things are no longer necessary as the word of God has been given in its entirety. But what was Timothy's gift? What was Timothy's gift? Because it occurred at his ordination. We would assume that it has to do with the work of ministry, but we're never specifically told. We have to assume that it was some kind of endowment by the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. I mean, that's what all gifts are. They're endowed for the building up of the church. Was it prophecy? Was it service? Was it words of wisdom or knowledge? Was it exhortation? Was it leadership? Was it mercy? Was it generosity? Was it tongues? It could have been at that point. Some point to the following verse, and seeing that it speaks of a spirit given, they say that the gift that Timothy received was a spirit of boldness to declare the gospel. But I think the apostle is broadening in verse 7. And in a sense, to speak of what all Christians receive. 
Uh, That seems obvious in the fact that he says, look at verse 7, that he says that God has given to us, not to you. He doesn't use the singular there. He uses a plural. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power. Now he could just be speaking of himself and Timothy. But again, I think he's broadening here. In the end, Timothy receives some special gift. And though Paul doesn't tell us what it is, he still tells Timothy to fan it into flames to enliven it. That's the important point. No matter how spiritually, I mean supernaturally bestowed a gift is, it still requires fanning into flame by God's appointed means. A gift used for selfish purposes or a gift left neglected is not going to be used for God's glory. Much the reverse is going to be true. Consider, so consider whether or not there is some fanning into flame, some neglect or misuse of a gift that God has given to you. Right? Is there some fanning into flame, some gift you've long considered that you had but has left, has been neglected? Calvin says, we ought to strive to bring to perfection everything that is good in us and to kindle what is languid. Right? We should try those gifts that we have, those natural, even natural gifts, but supernatural that God has given for the building of his church. We, should, we need to perfect. We need to work on. Spurgeon says, Stir up your gifts like a fire. It will not burn without poking sometimes. It's not going to burn unless you stir it up or you poke that fire and bring it alive. Now, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that he, as a minister but also as a Christian, has not received a spirit of timidity. Uh, Christians have not received a spirit of timidity or cowardice. Why would the Apostle Paul remind Timothy of that? Because he's working in ministry. He's going to be dealing with people, right? And the work is hard. He has to preach the word in season and out of season. He has to reprove. He has to rebuke. He has to encourage. He has to... uh, But that encouragement is not meant simply for Timothy as a pastor, but this encouragement from Paul is, is meant for Timothy as a Christian. He is a new man as a Christian. He has gone from a fear of man to a fear of God. So he has, he has no longer any need to fear man, but he must fear God. And that's true of every Christian. One of the things that happens at our conversion is that our fears change, don't they? They completely change. What we fear changes. We go from fearing basically everything. We go from fearing man to fearing God. We go from fearing physical death to fearing spiritual death. We go from fearing every little thing in this life, from loss of money to loss of health, to to fearing the loss of God, to fearing the loss of holiness. We go from being cowards who tremble around every corner of life uh, to being courageous, who trust God through all. Now, how can that be? Because it can be because we have a Savior who walked before us. We have the Spirit living within us. We have a Father in heaven who looks down and, and who cares for us and has promised 
that he will never leave us or forsake us. How could, um, how could we fear anything anymore when we contemplate the glory of that? The triune God involves in our lives intimately. We have a Savior who died to redeem us, the Spirit who has changed our hearts from rock to flesh, a Father who loves us with an everlasting, undying love. The triune God cannot be defeated, and we've been rescued by him. How can we fear anything? How can we not just laugh in the midst of calamity? Why so much timidity? Why so much worry? Why so much cowardice? Why so much anxiety? Why so much up and down? It should not be. Um, Have you contemplated who you are in Christ? Have you stopped to think about the promises that God has made? That almighty God has made for you? Have you calmed your thoughts by the salve of God's sovereign love? Have you calmed them? Right? Do you need to live do you need to live your life in a timid way? This is precisely what the Apostle Paul's mind and the Holy Spirit go to in the book of Romans in your favorite chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Right? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But, what does he say next? In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You know, in, in, in being sheep that are being led to the slaughter, we overwhelmingly conquer. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Think of the boldness you can live with because God has set his love upon you in Christ. This world is your opportunity to demonstrate to the loveless world that you know love and are protected by his love. This world is the black canvas upon which you get to paint with the bright colors of God's goodness. What what colors are you painting with? Just timid little shades of gray, right? Barely seen on that black canvas of this world. Children, you don't need to be timid. You needn't fear tests. You needn't fear upperclassmen, right? You needn't fear embarrassing situations. You needn't fear temptations. God has given you victory if you are in Christ Jesus. Wives, you... You need uh, not be timid. You needn't fear the future for God. You needn't fear what God has called you to as a mother, as a wife, as a woman. God has saved you. 
He's pulled you out of a godless culture. If God has set his love on you, he's removing your, your need for worry, your need for pride, your need for hardness. Right? No more timidity, men. You needn't fear the future or leading your household. If God has set his love upon you, he's, he's, he's removing all of your stupidity. He's removing all of your pride. He's removing all of your softness. Right? No more timidity, Christian. You, you don't need to fear anything in creation. Not any person, not any power. God is for you. God is for you. Should that not make you hold up your head? If God is for you, should that not inform, you know, should that not transform your worried thoughts? Should that not allow you to do the most difficult task for this, for the glory of God, for Christ's glory? Should that not, not allow you to, to spend the balance of your days obeying God's commands? Don't, don't, also, don't, don't um, mistake timidity with gentleness, right? Timidity is sin. Gentleness is not sin. Timidity is to gentleness as anger is to zeal, right? Timidity is an action caused by a lack of belief. Gentleness is, is a kind of an action caused by faith, right? It's caused by belief, Timidity is, is Peter before his questioners, right, around that fire as Jesus is being crucified. That's timidity, um, denying he knew Jesus. Gentleness is Jesus before his accusers staying silent in order to, to shame them, right? Timidity is to live as if God does not see and does not care and is far off, Timidity is to live as if all the promises of God are for somebody else and not for you, right? Timidity is to live without the confidence that his love should, should fill us. Romans 8.15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That confident, confident assertion, my Father. My God and my Lord, right? My God, my Father. Are you riddled by fears? Are you riddled by timidity? Right? Remember that you're an adopted son of God. You're an adopted son of God. And then, and, and that when you cry, Abba, Father, he hears and he jealously steps forward to give himself to you. He jealously guards you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Christ has wrought peace. He's brought peace by his work. Remember it. Remember it. When the floods of fear and and trembling come over you, remember Christ's finished work, right? You needn't be a coward. You don't need to live as a second guesser. Right? You needn't, you needn't cower. God is for you. God is for you. If it's not a spirit of timidity that we, re- we have received, then what is it that we've received? Paul says a spirit of power and love 
and discipline. I mean, think of those three things. Power. Think of those Christians who confessed Christ when they were threatened with death if they refused to deny him. Think of Polycarp. Think of, uh, think of the spirit of power working in them that kept them faithful under those dire circumstances. That same spirit is in, in, in you if you are in Christ. Right? Think of Elijah before the prophets of Baal. Think of David before Goliath. Think of Paul in the Areopagus calling, calling the philosophers ignorant. Right? For, out of love for Christ, he's calling the philosophers ignorant. And all because they've been endowed with a spirit of power by God. Think of love, a spirit of love. Think of the sacrificial love of mothers, the protective love of fathers, the willingness of Christians to sacrifice their comforts and their very lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. Think of, think of the hateful man who despises everybody becoming the tenderest of man living for others, right? Think of the formerly demon-possessed Mary Magdalene clinging to Jesus when Jesus arises from the dead. Think of David and Jonathan and the love that the Spirit worked in them. That same love, that same Spirit is at work in all Christians. And now discipline, this last, we've been given a spirit of discipline. Think of Think of the sensual man that abandons his love of flesh, his love of drunkenness, right? And, he, and then he serves Christ. And he has the joy about him that, that he is, he's not, no longer in bondage to these, to these cruel masters, but he's in bondage to a lovely and strong Lord. Think of the ac- academic whose ambition was to... to show forth himself and essentially despise God, then becoming one whose every effort is now simply to obey God and honor him, whatever that means he does. Think of Moses rejecting the pleasures of Egypt. That's the spirit of discipline. Think of Paul's learning of contentment. Contentment. He had the the worst kind of life to experience contentment in. But it's the spirit of discipline that worked in him. So Christian, these these power, love, and discipline, these, these works of the spirit describe what you are in Jesus Christ. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of discipline. So, so consider yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. Right? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knows you and loves you with an everlasting love. How then can our lives be marked more by timidity and cowardice than by power, love, and discipline? That should not be. If God is for us, who is against us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we we cower, we tremble, we feel defeated, we feel sorry for ourselves. 
We envy the wicked. We, we disparage the gifts you've given to us. We neglect them. And, Father, it's, it's, it comes from nowhere but unbelief. Your scripture has given us so many bold promises. So many truths. The Spirit is at work in strength in your people. Father, and, and it, it's as if we, we are continually grieving the Spirit by doubting your strength, by doubting your power, by doubting your goodness. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for living as if you aren't protecting us. Forgive us for living as if you don't love us. Forgive us for living as if you care about everything but, but your people and us individually. God, I pray that we would have confidence in you. I pray that we would not cower that we would not be timid, Father, but that we would be those who are filled with your Spirit, therefore filled with confidence and joy and righteousness and power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.